This is Mike. And this is Manny. And welcome back to Reboot, Recast, Rethink, a podcast about tech and why you should care. From how we do groceries to how we stay connected with our friends, COVID-19 has changed the world. Before we deep dive into this, we just want to thank all the essential workers who are keeping everyone going, especially to our doctors, nurses, and frontline staff who are front and center every day dealing with the toughest cases, literally putting their lives on the line. I have the privilege of being able to support them during this time, and when we're speaking with them, it's no doubt that they're putting on brave faces and being the heroes that we need. For the rest of us, we're doing our part to support them by staying at home and staying safe. Internet companies have seen a big spike in business, so good luck trying to get those red flag deals. Um, because people need to work at home or do what they can to stay home and stay entertained. So let me ask you, how many of you have done online banking for the first time? Or FaceTimed or Zoom meeting with your friends in the last few weeks? Or have reset your password because you forgot your Netflix password for the 10th time? I know I have. For those times, how many times have you put yourself at risk of phishing scams, bots, ransomware, or just exposed yourself to the dark side of the web? To be fair, with everything going on, you're probably using a slew of new tools to do this and not familiar with the territory. But the reality is, the post-COVID world will probably be more reliant on tech as people are becoming more comfortable with it. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to tech-splain some of the more common things you can look for. Just like we're working hard to stay safe, we're here to talk about staying tech-safe. Bots are probably the easiest thing to explain, but not necessarily the easiest thing to prevent. Um, generally, bots are designed to carry out specific tasks, do very specific things. Um, some of those items can be things to inject code or malware to disrupt the workings of either a network or a lot of times even a website. Um, one of the main things that um, uh, people will often program bots to do are what's called a distributed denial of service. Now, almost kind of like that um, salesperson or that solicitor that comes to your front door and, you know, you really need to get out. Um, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you can't because they just won't leave. They're just going to keep <laughs> ringing the doorbell. They're going to keep ringing the doorbell. And, you know, you get really frustrated. You really want to get out the front door, but you just can't because they're just there. And I think that's almost like a good way of explaining uh, that denial of service where you're basically being denied to actually leave the front door or actually get out. Um, so that's one aspect of bots. Um, generally, and not to get too technical, um, a lot of times what cyber criminals will do is they may actually um, hijack, you know, a particular computer and actually use that computer to target one location or sometimes and this is where it can get really complicated and you can really almost do a whole episode on the technical aspects of it where they may even take hundreds or thousands of computers and create what's called a botnet and mm -hmm. at a specific time you know maybe it's at um, maybe you're launching a new product or maybe you know um, something's happening where hey, at this particular time, we are going to have, hey, guess what? A podcast. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, 
nobody can actually access your website or even your network because there's a distributed botnet that's running that's just sending a whole bunch of traffic and there's nothing you can do about it. I think it goes right back to what we said at the beginning there, Mike, where, again, easy to explain, but one of the hardest things to prevent. I think another item we can look at is in terms of bots are how they are used to spread spam emails. Now, Ooh. yeah. So, yeah. Mike, have you ever gotten one of those? <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten plenty of those. Uh, the the telling case for me is when I haven't spoken to somebody for like five to ten years, and suddenly I'm getting emails from them saying, "Hey, sign up to get these Viagra pills." It's like we don't know each other, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and again, you know, the whole idea of a bot or a botnet or the technology behind it, it's sending a lot of these emails. So obviously um, you can have um, thousands of people spammed at, you know, in a particular period of time. I doubt that person's actually sitting there, you know, typing on their keyboard and, you know, uh, anybody here ever watch Star Trek and data? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah doubt you can actually uh, type at that speed but it, that's what those <laughs> bots actually do they're they're designed they're programmed in such a way so that they can do the tasks that we can't very quickly yeah yeah another item in terms of bots and these security flaws is they're they're really designed the the the, the sole purpose of it is to design to either disrupt or to steal data um data is sort of that um, that goal, that item that people really want and being able to have a bot go out there, um, solicit, send emails, um, do whatever it's designed to do to get that information. Um, that's, that's the key. Um, its main thing is to maybe even install apps, obtain data, do things silently, quietly, or even in such a way that's really disruptive. So basically they're ninjas in your system. <laughs> generally people are looking for things that they can get from a company from an organization and they'll target them to do all sorts of things in the criminal in a criminal world um, a lot of times number one it could be the fact that people have systems that are not updated um, mm. they're not they don't have the latest patches. Um, maybe the IT team has not kept up with the latest updates. Um, that's generally how they get through. And if you think about a bot, um, it's sending out information to thousands of individuals, and it's it's you know it's just looking for that hook. It, if it can find an opening, if it can find a door that's open, then great. It's getting in there, and then it can kind of go on to the next step. And I think that kind of leads into a few other things that we want to talk about is vulnerabilities and, you know, why these things happen. Like, why is it so easy for bots to kind of get in and penetrate systems? Yeah, that's the thing about um, AI. And as we are, we're moving into a more automated world and programmers, basically, they've been working on things like AI has been around forever. And Mm -hmm. uh, as it continues to go on and people are more educated on how to do programming, I mean, kids right now, they can build very simple programs and they're taught from like toddlers on how to do programs. Uh, as AIs get more complex, the more complicated these issues will also become because you have more people doing the same thing, but better, right? Mm -hmm. So we just need to be on top of that. I, I think um, as things progress, especially on the AI side, um, 
you know, the, the way I see it is um, when it comes to bots and these types of vulnerabilities and AI, you're talking about a program that can almost think faster than you can. It can yep. do some of those tasks and it learns. So um, it's one thing in the back in the days, if you remember the um, the simple I love you virus where, okay, you had <laughs> right. to click on something and it executed something. Now you're getting to a situation where somebody can program something and, okay, it didn't learn the first time, but it's going to keep doing it. And, okay, it's found a vulnerability. Let's learn. Maybe I'm going to do something else. Maybe I'm actually going to reprogram myself to do it in a better way. Um, I, I think another thing that we have to really acknowledge, and this is kind of to step back regarding the operating systems in particular, is the reasons why software companies like Microsoft, Google, Apple, um, really are pushing the idea of obsolete, uh, obsolescence when it comes to older operating mm -hmm. systems. Um, everyone remembers um, uh, Windows XP. Um, you know, it was one of those operating systems. It took a long time for people to sort of jump away from. So Microsoft eventually got to a point where they created Windows 7. Windows 7 has been around for gosh, many years. Yeah. And the time is up. Um, Microsoft has ended support for Windows 7. I know there's a lot of people still using it. A lot of businesses are still using it. But Microsoft has sort of come to a point now where they've said, you know, we get it. We know you like Windows 7. We had some issues with Windows 10, went to rollout, but we're done with Windows 7. There are no longer any uh, security updates. Um, I do know that there are companies out there who have software that still need it can pay for those updates, but those updates become very expensive. So it's sort of like a way of Microsoft saying, move on. We can also talk about um, all of those cheap IoT devices that have, um, I'm sure you've seen them, these default passwords. You know, you, you, <laughs> um, you, you maybe you pick them up at your local store, um, a computer store. I was going to mention one in particular, but I kind of thought, well, maybe I better not. Um, but you pick them up at the store on a Boxing Day or a Black Friday special, and you set it up, and you're all excited, not realizing that, you know, maybe it has an operating system on there from three, four, six years ago. That's true. Um, you know, um, that's just something you may want to think about. Yeah, I mean, with any of these kind of device, well, any devices in general, I jump in. The first thing I change is the password. The next couple things I try to change are I just try to dig around to security settings, see what, you know, location, share my location, turn that off, share anything mm -hmm. about my personal life or any kind of feedback, turn that off because it's not doing me any favors. It's doing everybody else a favor. Um, I do remember this one time um, taking a look at someone's computer and, you know, they said, hey, can you take a look at the computer? It seems a little slow and I'd like to do some updates. And I thought, okay, no problem. Um, as soon as I got to the computer mic, I literally sort of said, you know, I just kind of removed my hands from the keyboard and said, it's time to get a new computer. Um, they had, <laughs> I, I, do you remember Windows 8? Oh, let, let's, let's leave that in the past. <laughs> but I remember looking at this computer and if you can believe it, it hadn't been updated from the first version of Windows oh, 8. No. And um, let's just say, any type of spyware, malware, and think about it. They were doing banking on this computer. Oh, no. All, yeah. So all of this stuff was running, and I basically sort of said, stop. 
Don't use this computer. <laughs> so I guess if we were to wrap this up, we I guess what we want to try to do is talk about what you can do to prevent these kind of cases. So if I had to sum it up, it'd be don't use Uncle Don's hand-me-down iPhone 5, or <laughs> if it has Windows 15, you probably want to avoid that. And I didn't say Windows there. So, <laughs> so make sure you have up-to-date operating system software because security updates matter. They do. They very much matter. That kind of leads us into ah, social engineering. Well, this is going to be what I would say a very common and a much bigger topic and one that is hard to deal with. Um, so just jumping into social engineering, um, what social engineering generally is, and I know it can be a little bit gray, um, but I'll kind of break it down in its simplest form. Um, cyber criminals will often use a combination of what's called social engineering methods and malware to implement items in order to maximize their chances of infecting a computer or a network. So what do I mean by that? Uh, social engineering is not necessarily the brute force idea of someone clicking on a link and um, or let's say getting a virus on a USB key or something along that lines. Sometimes social engineering is simply somebody sending you information and asking for an update on somebody in the office. Um, maybe they're sending you an email that you think is coming from somebody legitimate, but then asking you to provide information. Or sometimes social engineering could be something along the lines of somebody even calling somebody in the office to get information. The key about social engineering is gaining trust of the individual they're targeting using either human emotion or using um, just our overall way of how we run an office or a location to get information. And then um, the term I've seen is hacking the human. Okay. So <laughs> that's a it's, good way to put it. Yeah. It, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily hacking the computer. You're hacking the human to provide you with information so that you can then create new exploits to actually gain information from a company. So how th can that happen um, or why those things happen? They happen in a variety of ways. Well, I think the most common form of uh, social engineering is really phishing, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. I would yeah. definitely say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah. So like, I mean, if you ever really wondered why so many governments and financial institutions, they, they will send you those emails and it'll iterate and reiterate uh, that they will never ask for personal information through email. And this is basically why. Yeah, that's definitely why. I mean, it's, it's the phishing is the simple ask, the simple item of sending, let's say an email, right? And if you really think about the idea, what is phishing in real life? You're, taking a hook, you're putting it into the water, and you're trying to fish for uh, something to eat. But that's the idea of fishing, is it's that hook. So it's the act of sending, let's say, an email falsely claiming to be maybe somebody who's legit, a company or an organization, whoever it may be, in order to trick them and get information from them, or even sometimes um, get a, a connection into a company. Um, Often, I think you've seen these emails 
uh, Mike, where you get an email that looks pretty much like the company it's coming from, like let's say Canada Post, um, the CRA, um, even, yeah, you've probably seen those, or even the emails that are coming from banks uh, where they look um, like the real thing. And a lot of times what they're doing is they're playing on that emotion of either a fear or urgency, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can think of one that I've seen recently where we got an email and it looked like it was coming from Canada Post saying, and, you know, especially these days during these COVID days where people are getting packages at home, we're right. social distancing, we're not there. And you get an email that says, we have a package waiting for you. Just click on this link so we can authorize its delivery. Yeah, and it, it's so bad that, I mean, they're preying on people at this time, even especially with those CRA calls or CRA emails. I mean, people mm-hmm. are waiting to get these the help that they need and mm-hmm. the fact that they're still getting these. And, you know, they're, they're quick to click. They're not going to go and read that it's coming from uh, gobbledygook email at... This is you are being fish.com. They're going to click on it because, you know, they they need the help. Well, often I think the key in terms of understanding how to deal with phishing is to educate. And this is something, you know, for those who are listening to this podcast right now, please be very careful when it comes to these types of emails. If you get something and you're unsure about it, take a look at who it's coming from who the sender is. Often I'm dealing with individuals who will think that they're getting an email from somebody legitimate. Um, uh, I deal with individuals who are sales reps and some of those sales reps, they're waiting for contracts to come in, somebody to make a signing and they get an email and they think, oh, look, they've signed. I just need to open this document. And then they try to open it and they realize, oh, you know, I can't access it. Let me just talk to my IT uh, department to see if they can give me access to this contract, not realizing it never came from them or whoever they thought it was coming from. It actually was a virus or an exploit designed to get access to the network. And that's how dangerous things are these days. Um, one of the things, um, you know, you may wonder why is phishing so popular? Why is it always sort of a catalyst to many different types of exploits? Um, They do say, and I read this in a few different areas, where they basically say 90% of all breaches and incidents start with phishing. So I think the key thing would be education, educating your staff, educating the people who you work with. Um, If you're in the healthcare field, um, obviously you can't be everywhere at all times. So it's important that everybody who's part of uh, your organization, your company, or your clinic, that they're aware of these things that can happen. Um, you have a lot of sensitive information and things happen very quickly, especially during these times. You know, um, people are requesting things quickly. Take some time, slow down, make sure that you're clicking on the right item, make sure that that's really an e-transfer. So I guess it comes back to how do we prevent this? Education. Education is really important. Uh, The other thing is be vigilant if you don't know who this is coming from. Uh, And this is my tip. Confirm twice and confirm again. Uh, This goes with one example that I had with a friend. I was expecting to receive an e-transfer. And I remember it looked pretty close to what would be an e-transfer email. But when I was looking carefully at the websites that I was leaving, it was like www.rbc.com org or rbc.com or rbcbank.com and i was like 
that's not even their their actual website. It's mm-hmm. like, why am I clicking on this thing? So before that, number one, I confirmed, okay, that's that's not their website. I didn't click on this thing, but I actually went to Google, made sure I what the URL for RBC was. I checked with the friend, and that's probably one of the things that you probably should do if you're not sure and you're expecting something important. Verify if this is what you're receiving from your friend outside of this email. Mm-hmm. And uh, after all that, I read through everything again and I deleted it. You know, and for me, um, if I see one of these cases, and I'm really not sure and I'm really not expecting anything. My first reaction is to just delete it. There it's like, I'm go. not going to deal with this because they will confirm with me. One of the things I've instilled with um, people around me is to make sure if you do get an e-transfer, just like you've dealt with, make sure it's actually coming from the person um, that you're expecting it to come from. Or if yeah. you get something that you're not expecting, call them. Yes. And I, I and, and 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 I always say this. I don't mean send reply to the same email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Often people will do that and they'll and the person will reply back saying, "Yeah, you know, it's your it's my it's your auntie. Yes, please send off uh, whatever if you can or can you give me a call?" <laughs> don't do that. You know, you go on your phone, you call whoever sent that information to you to verify. Yes, it's a couple of extra steps, but trust me. Um it's better to do that than to lose all of the money that could be sitting in your bank account. Totally. Just because agree. we didn't take time. Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> all right. So we have another big topic. Uh, this is probably mm. the one that shows up on the news the most. Yes. Well, it shows up on the news the most because it's, you know, ransomware. Uh, that's the big topic we're going to talk about. And, it was one of those things where many years ago, we never talked about ransomware. I mean, the idea of it, it was interesting, the idea of somebody locking up a system, but it's become more prevalent now because people who are behind ransomware have found ways of targeting specific industries. One of the biggest targets happened to be healthcare institutions. Um, oh, yeah. Why? Well, it's quite obvious why. It's because we're talking about medical records. You're talking about patient data. Um, you're talking about information that's key to the operation of, let's say, a hospital or a clinic. Um, ransomware has hit other industries, and don't get me wrong. Um, we've heard of cities um, in the United States where entire cities have been had their systems locked up. I actually believe this happened recently in the past few months where you had cities where, you know, they got in there and all of a sudden they had no access to their information. And that's what ransomware does. It's, it's ransomware is sort of like malicious software that once it gets into your computer or your system, it locks and encrypts. That's the key part encryption. It encrypts computers and the files and it demands payment to get information back. Um, It could affect, all types of programs and all types of files. Um, one of the recent ones that happened, maybe about a year ago or more, was in Norfolk uh, General Hospital in Simcoe, um, where essentially uh, their entire system got locked up by ransomware. Now, you can imagine going in for surgery, and if you're a doctor and you need to get access to information in order to pull up a ch- patient's chart, there's no access, there's no information. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do if you've already taken all of that information unless they digitized it and you can't access it. Um, that's some of the things you got to think about is what are you going to do in those situations? Now we've seen 
Um, also things happen at, uh, I believe it was Presbyterian Medical in LA and Los Angeles, and also even the Ottawa General Hospital where they got infected by ransomware. Specifically in a local news um, here in Ontario um, at the Ottawa General Hospital, the computers were basically hit with ransomware and all of their information was basically encrypted. So, and it was totally inaccessible to the medical staff. Mm-hmm. And essentially what happens is if they don't pay, and, that, and this is the key about ransomware, it's that, that part is the ransom. A lot of times with the ransoms, they'll say, either pay us by this particular date or we'll delete the information. Yeah, it's okay. it's usually by Bitcoin. So unless you're rich in Bitcoins, uh, it's go. not cheap. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. Um, the The best defense is going to be um, having some policies in place so people know and understand um, what they are allowed and are not allowed to do. Um, and also making sure that, A, you have policies in place for having the latest updates. Uh planned obsolescence for old software. I find a lot of times that um, those are also some of the avenues that people get through is, you know, it could be one computer that somebody has some software on and sort of like, well, we really need this software. And, you know, sometimes you have to weigh the risk and you have to be really careful because that could also be an avenue for a criminal to kind of get through and get into your system. And then you now have to decide, was it worth it to have that software or should we have actually updated, got rid of it and uh, maybe uh, took some precautions to protect uh, the most valuable thing, which is our data and our operations. So yeah, just to wrap it up, I guess uh, to talk about how you can prevent it. I mean, many of the above recommendations, what we said and Manuel just said right now, you know, security updates, you know, be vigilant, check things once, check things again, check things again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what, even with all these, you're not a hundred percent guarantee, but just, you know, be aware, be educated in these cases. That's right. I think, you know, it's education is key. And just remember, cybercrime is not going away in a perfect world. We wish it would, but it's not, um, the world, um, as it's going to be, uh, especially post COVID is probably going to be more reliant on technology. I believe Mike, we, we've seen this change. We can see that everything around us is changing in terms of how people are going to use technology and how comfortable they are with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more so we're going to need to know how to protect ourselves yeah, and, and how to protect our equipment. Yeah, and it's really, and we've iterated this a couple times now, but it's really important to, number one, educate yourself because Mm -hmm. educating yourself you are looking ahead you are making plans on what to do for the future because these things are always evolving and with that stay up to date with your security patches and operating system software again you don't want your windows 15 to be out of date and especially your (laughs) windows 8 to never run an update that's dangerous uh be vigilant Confirm twice and confirm again, because if you're not and nobody else in the organization is, that's a big gaping hole. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, even right now, I just received an email saying my McAfee antivirus is expiring. I don't have McAfee antivirus on this computer. So uh, that's my confirmation. Quick delete. And um, one thing that we 
didn't mention, um, backups are so important. And oh, I know yes. a lot of people run cloud backups, but when I say this to my clients, I'm like, you might run a cloud backup. Number one, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you do, just make sure you have offsite backups too. Um, mm-hmm. These are so important, especially in the case where somebody locks down all your data and you can't access it. How mm-hmm. can you do it? Just wipe everything out and reload from a backup because that's how important backups are. Nothing is 100% foolproof. Um, just like people, it's always evolving, but make sure that you're on top of those kind of steps. And then you'll, it's not, again, not foolproof, but at least you'll be better prepared than people who aren't. I think the key would be is, you know, don't always look for a silver bullet solution. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do to protect yourself, to make life um, uh, better for you just in case the worst case happens. Absolutely. So I think that's about it. We just want to close this off with, again, a special thanks to the doctors, the nurses, and the frontline workers who are working tirelessly to get everyone through this trying time. Until the next time, stay safe, stay well, and rethink. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.